Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And here we are. It's nice to be back with you. Um, we are going to conclude. You you might be relieved to hear this. Uh, conclude. <laughs> what do you mean relieved? They'll, they'll be sad that it was we're like concluded. no, not another one. We've been doing uh, <laughs> tips for parenting, and this is number ten that we're doing. Tip number ten for tip happy number parenting. 10. And let me just interject, Linda, that these. Um, for those of you that may not have heard all 10, a couple of things. Number one, you can go on byuradio.org and you can scroll back through our shows and you can find number one, number two, number three. They're not always in order. We sort of did them according to when we were feeling the juices for that particular tip. But what they are is what we have found over the many, many years we've been doing this sort of thing are the things that really work, 10, 10 parenting tips, 10 ideas it seemed to work pretty universally. And I want to say, Linda, a lot of them, a lot of these tips um, stem directly from a need. For example, you know, parents are worried about the entitlement attitudes of their kids. So one of the parenting tips was a, a family economy where kids learn to work and learn to save and so on. One of the things parents are worried about is discipline. So one of the family tips, one of the top 10 was a system of family laws. And today we're on one, and I should say that many of these ideas we learned from other parents, we watched it unfold, we sort of tried it on parents and families, we did experiments, we found that they worked. But today's tip, number 10, really comes from a a profound need, and we didn't get it from anyone else. We developed it and actually wrote a book to try to get at this problem. And it's the problem of communication in families and the problem of discipline in public. What do you do when a kid's acting up and you're in a restaurant or you're on a plane or you're in a lobby of a church or something? How do you, how do you discipline a child in those situations? And more, more broadly, how do you communicate in a way that avoids a lot of bickering and yelling and lecturing by the parent and resistance from the kids and power struggles and so on. Now that sounds like a pretty big question. That sounds like a, wow, if you can answer that, then, you know, all bets are off. Parenting becomes easy. For sure. This works like a charm. (laughs) I do have to say that we have tried this with a lot of kids as well as parents. Sometimes we bring the kids in for the last 45 minutes of our presentations and talk to the kids about this and they, they really like it. I mean, it's, uh, it's, you'll see what, see what you think as we go through. So what, so what are we talking about? What is it that could actually solve communication problems and discipline, discipline problems, especially in public? Well, drum roll. The answer is, a secret family code for communication and discipline. I'll, I'll give you a little background on this. When when we were, our publisher at the time was um, was St. Martin's Press, a big publisher in New York City. And I still remember the time, Linda, that we were meeting with our editor there, who was the senior editor at St. Martin's Press. And we were in the Flatiron Building, remember? It's that gorgeous building yeah, at the fun. bottom of Broadway that's shaped kind of like a wedge. And it's very iconic. You've probably seen pictures of it. And we were in the very point of that wedge in her office near the top of the Flatiron Building. And I remember she said to us, you know, 
parents need a different kind of a parenting book. They need something that gives them a kind of a tool that they can use when they're in trouble with their communication and can sort of open things up and get past the the lecturing and the arguing and the power struggles. Well, well, and she said it was, we need something that's more fun, you know, yeah, we need a fun so heavy. Yeah. We need something that's <clears throat> kind of fun and interesting and engaging for the kids as well as the parent as the parents. And we thought about that and thought about it. And, and I think if I, you correct me if I'm remembering this wrong, but first we thought, you know, we need some kind of a code, some sort of secret thing that a, a parent can say or do. A lot of families have tried that. They'll have a little hand signal or a little, They'll look in the eye or they'll have a, a word which is supposed to mean not now. We have to talk about this later or whatever. So we were sort of thinking about that. We need some kind of a code. And then I remember when we were saying, what kind of code should it be? And I remember one night, Linda, I think it was you. I've given you the credit. You said, well, one thing all kids love is animals. Why don't we think of a code that's not built just around a word or a symbol why don't we build it around animals? Because kids will remember it then. If, if there's a certain animal, you say the name of that animal, it means a certain thing. Maybe we could have a secret code around that. And that, that got us thinking about this book, which we ended up calling The Book of Nurturing. Yeah, and actually, um, the subtitle must have had something to do with, with communication because it's more than just nurturing. It's 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 about really talking to your kids and uh, you have to set these the secret code up in a little family meeting before you start it so the kids know exactly what to expect and they're in on it. And this may be um, a two-way street because sometimes the parents have to change their um, responses and behavior as well. And I, it really has been a fun thing. So let's let let's me give, dive yeah, into Let me it. give you an example. I, where there's nine animals in this secret code. Actually, to be accurate, there's eight animals in one. The, the ninth and a one bunch is, of trees. is about trees. But they're all about nature, and kids love these. And so I'm going to give you an example, a first example, and we'll talk a little about the idea of this secret code for kids. And then we'll get in, and we'll, we'll see if we have time today to go through just briefly all of the other eight animals. But let's start with an example, whales, humpback whales. Say you're sitting there with your kids, and and you're basically telling the story. You're saying, you know, these humpback whales are amazing animals. Do you know anything about them? And kids will say, yeah, they're really big. It's they're... amazing. The little, you know, six-year-olds know about humpback whales. You want to have a picture, and then we're going to tell you how to get a be some beautiful pictures of each of these animals. But here you hold up this these humpback whales. And what makes them so special? Are they, are they fish? No, they're, they're mammals. Well, then do they breathe water or air? They, they, they breathe air. Um Oh, okay. So, so, um, and, and what else do you know about them? Well, they, they sing, I mean, just draw all you can out of the kids and then tell them some things. Say, you know, here's what's really amazing about humpback whales. It's their communication with each other. They never yell. They never argue. And more importantly, they never interrupt each they other. They never interrupt when each other. When they are singing <clears throat> under the water, and we've actually heard some whales singing. It's such a cool sound. Oh, it's sound. a beautiful song. But it never occurred to us until we read about this, and that is that whales do not interrupt each other's songs. They wait until their song is finished, and then they sing a song back. I remember, a marine biologist told us that. It's amazing. They're, they're so patient. They wait till one person, one whale <laughs> finishes, and then they start their song. And, and tell them there's other things in, in the write-ups we're going to send you to. Um, you know the humpback whales, 
they, they make a bubble net. They swim in a spiral and like a family all together, blowing out their blowholes and create a, a cylinder of bubbles. And they swim to the bottom of the ocean doing that. And then they turn around and the plankton wait, wait. is trapped in that yeah. cylinder and they swim up eating it. And that's, that, that's how they have dinner together. And they're singing, they're communicating all the time. Well, that's really a fun idea. I mean, we think about those whales going around in circles and creating bubble nets. Wow. I mean, these fish are absolutely trapped in those bubbles. They can't get out. Imagine that. And so kids get excited about that. And then here's the coup d'etat. Here's the conclusion. You say, okay, kids, humpback whales are a great model for communication because they don't interrupt and they sing and they don't yell and so on. So let's have that be our first secret code. When we're out wandering around town or when we're wherever we are, at dinner. At dinner. If, if, if there's some arguing going on or some yelling or some dis, disrespect, we will not give you a lecture. And we will not pull you out of the room and take you out of the car and give you a lecture. What, what we will do is we'll get eye contact with you and we'll say one word, whales. Uh, this also works when you're on the telephone. I mean, yeah. really, a, a child is wired to interrupt you while you're on the telephone. And it is really pretty uh, fun to have them come along and start chattering at you while you're talking to somebody on something important. And you just have to, you know, stop for a second, hold the phone down and say whales. And that that gives them the whole message. I can't talk right now. You're interrupting me, please. Now, it doesn't work automatically. You, you want to practice this, like Linda said, in a family meeting. Say, here's what's going to happen. Let's rehearse it. Let's say you two are arguing. I look at you. I say, whale. What do you think? Oh, I think, oh, whales wouldn't do that. Okay. You stop doing it. And you practice it and you practice it. And then you just work on that for a couple of weeks. And every time there's a, a, a misstep on communication, get eye contact and say whales. And, and then talk about it. Say, hey, isn't this, isn't this fun? This is a secret code. When we say whales, no one knows what we mean. Only we know. And it, do you like it better than a lecture? Do you like it better than discipline? Do you like it better than a punishment? And the kids are like, well, yeah. Well, good. Let's do it. So you get the idea. That's how this secret code works. And I think, Linda, we should just touch on each of these nine symbols. And then at the end of the show, we'll tell you how to get more information and pictures <clears throat> to use on each of these with your own family. So let's start from the top of the list. Well, a lot let, me of just, geese. let me just, well, go ahead. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. What say, were you say, um, I'd like to talk about my favorite one, which is actually um, the crabs. Oh, you want to take it out of order? Fine. Go jump down to there and then we'll start at the top. Of the, um, the crabs are, were so important in our house because we told the story about uh, crabs. I mean, most kids have been on a beach at some point and have seen those little crabs going along or big crabs. Sideways. If they haven't, you can go online and show it to them in a blink. And we, we say to them, you know, how do crabs walk? And it's, they know, well, they all go sideways. Well, is it fast or slow? Well, they go pretty fast. Well, let me tell you something. If you have a bucket, you go out on the beach and you put a bucket on this beach and you grab a crab and you put it in that bucket, it will do all it can to get out. It'll climb out. They're pretty good climbers. It, it, and especially with those long claws. But the secret is if you put another crab in there, guess what? They, as soon as that one crab just back to the top, the other one grabs his leg and pulls him back down again. And as it's soon as instinct. the other one can, 
goes just about gets to the top and he pulls him down again. And it's, it's instinct. They can't, they can't help themselves. They have to pull each other down. They pull each other down until they die sometimes. It is crazy. They just can't make themselves stop. So kids, do we want to be like those crabs? No, of course not. So the next time we see one of you criticizing another person or, you know, belittling them or pulling them down in some way or insulting them or saying something rude to one of your brothers or sisters, we're not going to give you a lecture or a punishment. We're just going to get eye contact and we're going to say, crab, crab. Do you know what that means? What are you going to do when you hear that? Yeah. So, for example, your little uh, first grader is just doing Suzuki violin and doing her very best. And her brother comes along and bumps her on the elbow and she screeches uh, on the violin. And he says, you suck. Well, instead That's being of, a crab. Well, instead of yelling at him and telling don't talk to your sister like that, that all you have to do is say one word, hey, crab, and he gets it. I'm pulling her down. I need to sometimes I just walk away, but but they get the message. Yeah, so you're starting to get the idea of this secret code with just a one word animal symbol that means certain things. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to practice it. You have to really tell stories about the animal. You don't want to do them all at once. You want to just pick one of these and work on it for a couple of weeks, and then when it's really established in your family, start on the next one. And eventually you'll have nine, these wonderful little symbols that work so well. Linda, you're on a roll. What, what about the law of the geese, number three that we're talking about? What, what, what does that mean, the geese? You know, the geese are so interesting, and it's, it'd be fun to look up some things on, on online, Google it, and find some fantastic things about geese and how protective they are of their children. And, you know, that's a good way to teach your children that you are there for them, that you are going to take care of them because geese are amazing. In fact, I was driving along the road over Bear Lake where we are right now. One time there's a bird refuges, dirt road. I was driving along there and I saw this little family of geese going along, a little mom and then six little geese coming along behind her. And then I was driving really slow. But when I got there, uh, that dad held his arms out like, stop. You're not, you are not touching my babies. And so I think the, that's the way families The law are. of the geese is loyalty and protection of each other. We'll take a brief break. We'll come back and tell you the law of the elephant, of the bear, of the frog, of the flea, and so on. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Okay, we're back and we're talking about this secret code for family communication, trying to cut down on the number of lectures and disagreements and fights and arguments that go on in families. Now, how, how about you taking the bear? Well, right, you got a good okay, story. Well, the law of the bear, what would that be? This is a fun one to teach kids. And again, we're going to send you to a website where you can get all these photos. But on this one, the photo is a bear. Um, coming after a, uh, a couple of shoes laying on the ground. And here's the story. Um, two hikers are going up a mountain, and they come around a bend on the trail, and there's a big bear right in front of them. And one of the hikers drops to one knee and starts taking off his big, heavy hiking boots and starts putting on a pair of running shoes from his backpack. And the other hiker says, What are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. And the first hiker says, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. 
and the kids will laugh about it. We've found that kids down to kids who are under eight sort of don't know. They, they don't, don't get, it. get it. They yeah. think about it for a minute and then they go, Oh, I get it. And, and, but, but the message is the important thing. Do we want to be like that hiker? Do we want to leave and run so that someone else gets eaten or someone else has to do the work? So this is a great, a lot of the bears, a great one for a kid who leaves a mess in the kitchen. And you're like, wait a minute. You want you what you would say if you didn't have the symbol is don't leave those dishes. If you leave them, someone else has to do them. Do you think I'm your servant? Do you think I, you can just leave a mess around? Uh, someone someone else will always come along and do it. And but instead of that lecture, you've now worked with the child on this law of the bear. And all you have to do is look at him and say bear. And he's thinking if you've done this right, he's thinking. I'm not going to be like the hiker who runs off and lets someone else get eaten. I'm not going to be the kid who leaves things for someone else. I'm going to do it. So that's the law of the bear. I could tell you more, but we got to go fast. So Linda, what one do you want to take next? Um, let me take the frog. Okay, go for the frog. And you can help me on this because you like this one. This is more for teenagers. Um, and you start out by saying, how do you cook a frog? And they're like, well, I don't know. You put him in a pot. Well, what would happen if you put him in a pot? that was boiling water, you know, you just put them in there, you know, frogs are jumpers, what would happen? They say, oh, they would jump right out. Well, what if you put the frog in the bottom of a pot of water and you just, cold water, and then you turn the stove on low, just low, and then it heats up and heats up and heats up, and then what's gonna happen? And they all, well, I guess he'd cook. Um, and so we say, this is the way it is when you get in situations that you don't realize are harder than you th thought they were going to be. And this is like teenagers go to a party, things get crazy. We have taught our teenagers to call when things get crazy, just call us and all they have to do is say one word bear. And frog. we know what that means. Frog. I mean, frog, <laughs> <laughs> not bear, frog. <clears throat> and it really is pretty amazing because I mean, we're there in, Split, lickety split, picking them up because we we know they're in trouble over their heads. It's a great one. So say you've set that up with your kids. You've got this picture of this frog and, you know, the frog who gets too comfortable. He thinks it's fine. You know, I'm an amphibian. I like it in the water. He doesn't notice that it's getting hotter and hotter. And that's how kids get into trouble. And kids really get that. They, they, they say, oh, everything's fine. But the kids are starting to drink and there's some stuff going on that probably shouldn't happen and the water's getting hotter, I better I better remember the frog. Okay, Linda, I'm gonna jump next to the elephant. The law of the elephant, and this is really one for parents, but it really ties into kids. It's the elephant's trunk. You know, and, and again, there's in the write-ups we're gonna send you to, there's some interesting facts. You know that a, an elephant's trunk has 50,000 different little muscles. That trunk can move. No one's ever invented a robotic arm that's as flexible and as strong and as as adaptable as an elephant's trunk. And and an elephant can pick up a log with that trunk and throw it out of the way. That's how strong it is. But it's so sensitive that it can pick up a tiny peanut or it can caress its little baby elephant very tenderly. And that's how we ought to deal in our families. We should be strong for what is right strong for the laws we've created, but very, very tender and very, very forgiving and willing to give people a second chance. This a lot of times applies to a parent who 
is too dictatorial and the kid misses his his curfew by two minutes and the parents like, okay, you're grounded for a month or whatever. This is being, being flexible like the elephant's trunk and saying, what happened? And if the child has a good excuse and he was just a little late, fine, forgive so, him and move on. So this could come back at you parents because yeah, <laughs> just when you think you're doing the right thing and you're really mad at somebody, you know, they might say elephant to you. I mean, come on, be a little more flexible. Think about this. How important is this really? It really is good because it works both ways. Linda, how about the law of the tortoise? That's one everyone knows, but we don't use it often enough as a parenting method. Right. I mean, we all the kids know the story of the tortoise and the hell, which, and the hare, which is really good because it's not being lost. I, I like that story. And of course, you know, the tortoise plods along and the hare runs along and diddles around and gets distracted and the tortoise ends up winning. Well, that is what we talk with our kids about. In order to get something done, you have to stick with it. You have to keep going. So when homework gets hard and they're like, nope, I can't do this. Nope, I'm done. I'm done. Or, or they're distracted by their or, phone whatever. or whatever. Yeah. You just look at them and you say, tortoise. And if you've set it up. Yeah. Then they know, they know what you mean. It's really, uh, that's a fun one. How about the law of the flea? This is an, a really interesting one. Kids love this one. The photo we're going to get you to or send you to is a is a like a little like a flea circus. You know, it used to be that they actually had that, that started was the during the depression. They yeah. had, yeah, and, and they'd have a flea circus and they'd train fleas to do things. But mainly, we researched this a little. Mainly, they'd put them in a cigar box or a little shallow box, and those little fleas would jump around and they'd learn that if they jumped too hard, they'd hit their head. So, so they could lift the lid of the box and all these little fleas would be jumping in unison right to a certain point, but no higher. Even though they're capable of jumping much higher, jumping out of the box, they've been trained to think that there's a lid there. So they, they, they only jump that high and they never get out. And the law there is expand your horizons. This is when a kid is too hesitant or too timid or or just doesn't dare do anything and and you and you you see if you've set this up right instead of saying hey don't be such a chicken go try it or you know get in there and play don't stand there on the sideline you're you're playing soccer get out there run after the ball you hear that so much parents are being so overbearing with their kids and and so insensitive to their their fears and so on and it's better to just just look at them after you've set this up and say please Please don't be like a flea. You you can you can go higher than that. If I you mean, want. how many times have you heard your kids say I can't, or how many times have you heard yourself say you can't? Because it really is pretty important to open up your horizons and realize that you're you can go a lot farther than you think. And I think that's really what the fleas are all about. And it's an important way to communicate with your kids about trips that you're taking. You know, uh, expanding your horizons, expanding your horizons, things that you're learning, apply education. to more colleges than the one down the street. I mean, it, it, all of these sort of have a, an application for little kids. But as you grow into them, they also are useful for older kids. Now, the last one, Linda, and we want to save a little time to to send people to sites where they can get more information on all of these and get these photos. But the last one is the one that isn't about an animal. It's about trees. It's about redwood trees. 
And this is an amazing story because many of you have been to the Redwoods in California. Many of you experienced Redwoods. They're enormous trees. But interestingly, the roots of the Redwoods are not really very deep. It's really interesting. So that begs the question, how does a tree that tall, 300 feet tall, how does it stand up in a windstorm or a a big uh, thunderstorm when it only has very shallow roots? And some of you know the answer, but this, this comes as a revelation to kids, and it's such a good metaphor. The redwoods grow in groves, and underneath, if you could see under the ground, their roots are intertwined. They're linking their roots. They're tangling their roots with the roots of other trees, and they're so strong that no wind can blow them over. And you can guess what the message is there. Family unity, family togetherness, depending on each other. That's the one you'd use. Let's say you've got two kids and one has a baseball game and, and you're saying, let's go see Johnny's baseball game. And, and Sally's saying, oh, I don't care about baseball. I'd rather stay home and play video games. And, and instead of some big lecture, you should support your brother. Come on. We should all, we're a family. We should all be loyal to each other on and on, blah, blah, blah. The problem with lecturing, we use a lot of words kids don't even understand. And, yeah, and, right. and they take it as criticism. But if you've set this up beforehand, now you look at Sally and you say, Sally, Redwoods. And what does she do? She's thinking, oh, the, the roots, they're interlinked. We're, we all depend on each other. We, we do support each other. Well, the, the realistic problem with that is that she might be saying, but I have a soccer game at the same time. Well, true. <laughs> you I, know, I mean, I'm you, saying you can't one, always yeah. support people on everything. But you get what we're saying. It really is so important to send birthday messages um, for us to send because our children are gone to send birthday messages to our children. We don't try to send gifts anymore. Well, we send a little bit of money, but um, not shopping for gifts anymore. We just let them know how much we love them and give them, you know, ways to know yeah, that, that, that we are connected no matter what, what happens. So let's summarize um, nine animal symbols each one of them symbolizing a type of behavior that we want from ourselves and from our children, setting them up in advance, talking them through, getting the kids to really develop a love affair with these animals and appreciation for them and the things they do, then using that behavior of that animal as a, as a secret code to avoid a lecture or a long power struggle type of discussion. Now, how do you get them? Go to, there's a, on, on the BYURadio.org um, site, and many of you may have never been there, but if you haven't, you should. You should visit that site and go to our show. There's a menu bar at the top that says shows, and go to Richard and Linda Iyer's show. It's called Iyer's on the Road. Click on it, and then you'll see a list of all the shows we've done in reverse order. So today's show will be right on the top. And then the little write-up, which our great producer, Cole, does every week, a nice little one-paragraph write-up of what we've talked about that day. And in today's write-up, you'll see a link that'll take you to a site that has these animal codes. And off to the right, you'll see the geese and the whales and so on. Click on those, and you'll see these images, which we had drawn by a really remarkable Russian artist. And you'll feel, you'll feel the emotion of these whales and these crabs and these elephants and so on. 
Don't try to do them all at once. Parents have made that mistake. Say, hey, kids, we're setting up nine secret codes. Here's the pictures. So on. You just pick one. Pick the one your family needs the most. Talk about it. Establish it as a symbol and a code. And then when you've really mastered that one, move on to the next one. And eventually you'll have nine. And here's my bottom line. I'll let you conclude, Linda. But I think you're going to save yourself a lot of time. That's the bottom line here. Imagine how much time you save if you just have to get eye contact and say one word instead of endlessly correcting this behavior with all this parental logic, which the kids don't get anyway. It really is true. And we've had a lot of fun with this through the years. We really hope that you want to try it. Give it a try. Just go look at it and see what you think. See how it fits for your own family. And do some nurturing and some uh, discipline and everything that goes with it. And we'll see you next week on Ayers on the Road. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.